3: A warm-up hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For custom Cups, with myself, Deggit Spears. And now a part of the Decent Family Podcast, we do have a tremendous podcast for you. As in the second segment, we're going to be joined by Tristan Freeman. Does a great job over there at Bussing Brackets. And... He is a man that is doing a great job of taking a look forward to this upcoming college basketball season. He recently released a list of what he believes are the top 25 backcourts in college basketball. I'm going to be running through this with him. Obviously, I'm not going to give away the whole top 25 because we actually want people to read the fine work that he wound up publishing, but with that said, I'm going to ask him what sort of factors wound up playing a big role in putting this list together. Some of the teams that might be a little bit of dark horses to take a look at and what I always think is interesting. Interesting with backwards and projecting them forward. Who are some of the freshmen that he thinks might be able to boom slash bust this season and on top of that, we're going to be talking about just the state of mid-major college basketball as well with the WAC deciding that they are going to be doing their conference tournament seating by Kempom. I'm going to get his thoughts on that if other conferences might follow suit and just get a little uh, read on the WAC in general as I feel like it is one of the better mid-major college basketball conferences out there as well. So we're going to have that on tap and then in the final segment since I wanted to do my Ivy League conference preview yesterday, going to give you guys the the news and notes of college basketball from the past 48 hours and we've seen a couple guys that have surprisingly decided to go down to the non-D1 level so we're going to be passing that along to you and if you do like hearing from this fine podcast Coast Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have you for this podcast you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore d1. Keep in mind letters here. EM. they mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you're at this Podcast 5 stars. It is very much appreciated from there. You're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this Podcast 5. That 5 star review really didn't wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we did wind up having a great chat with Tristan. So, that is up next right here on Coastal Go with myself, Greg Gibbs Pearson, now part of the Eason Family Podcast.
2: Select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
3: And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Kisses with myself, Greg Eepspears, so and now part of the and Family Podcast. And it is always a pleasure to get Tristan Freeman of Bussin' Brackets on the show. He does a great job taking a look at the game of college basketball and and Brackets. That's a part of Fan It's college basketball coverage. Tristan is a man that's out there in the Northeast part of the country, more specifically the great city of Pittsburgh, being able to hold it down and to be able to follow Tristan on f- on Twitter that is at hoopsnut351ALTogether and Tristan. It is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on once again, Greg.
3: I appreciate you joining me, and I do appreciate the fact that a few days ago you wanted up putting out a great list. It's of the top twenty-five backcourts out there in all of college basketball. Now we want people to actually go and take a look at the list. So I'm not gonna review like all the top twenty-five teams or anything like that, but What wound up really going through your process in being able to put together this list? Because you did wind up putting in there a few major teams. And obviously, it is a case in which there was a lot of guys in the transfer portal moving around. But what all wound up going through your mindset of being able to put this list together?
1: Yeah, so we've seen, you know, Field68 do duos and other places do like starting line for teams. For me, I wanted to look at the overall depths, not just the, the starting guards, but which teams can with stay an injury. And I think the Houston Cougars last season was a great example of this. They lose two guards and yet still make an Elite Eight run with the backups. Like last year, they clearly had the best overall backcourt, although you could argue that Kansas, who ended up winning the title, had the same thing too with Remy Martin and Ochai Baji. So I think the goal is to look at just basically all the guards on the roster and all the the quote-unquote wings that are natural perimeter players. So I had to make some, you know, guesses in terms of which guys are more front court players than true wings like Julian Strother, Gonzaga. I consider him more of a true forward than a guard. So those things there, but, but yeah, it wasn't too difficult once you remember where everyone ended up from transfer portal.
3: And how much did you wind up having to just put into account past track record of some of these coaches and the system itself? Because I always think that that's interesting to take a look at the sheer Talent of a guy like, for instance, a Kendrick Davis going to Memphis. We all know that Kendrick Davis is one of the better guards out there in all of college basketball. And we know that Memphis, well, it's been a little bit difficult for guards to be able to succeed under Penny Hardaway's system first few seasons. So I do think that that's interesting to mix and match with
1: that. How would you wind up going about this? It probably coincided with how I feel about teams for the upcoming season. So if I'm high on a team, then I'm obviously going to be high you know, if they're led through their guards. So to say, for example, Creighton have two freshmen in Trey Alexander and Ryan Emhard. But I think I, among many others, believe that those guys will have a sophomore breakout year. So I can project them to be a top 10 caliber backward, even though they don't have much proven. And then you mentioned before, you know, with Kendrick Davis, because he's a proven product, I can safely put Memphis and say the top 15, while also believing that the supporting cast, although it may not be as talented, can fit together. And then other teams, you look at Duke, you, you believe that, hey, these are five-star freshmen they find a way to get it together. They should be in the top 15, but it is ultimately a guess because who knows how good these backcourts are, especially teams that may ultimately be led through their front courts and where the guards may not even have that big of an impact overall.
3: I agree with you. I always think that it is a little bit difficult and it is why guys like us find up getting paid the big bucks to take a look at all these sorts of things, to take a look at all these teams and figure out which ones are going to be able to boom and which ones are not going to boom so much as Tristan Freeman of Bus and Brackets is joining me right here on the podcast. And then along with that as well, you're talking about how difficult it is to be able to gauge some of these guys. and What I think is really the most difficult thing to gauge in all of college basketball is taking a look at unproven-slash-freshman guards and how they might wind up faring. Were there a few guards that you felt like you were maybe a little bit more bullish on in terms of the freshman class for this year rather than others because I always think that one of the most difficult things is being a freshman and coming in and having an impact right away out there in the backcourt because with big men, you really can't teach a guy how to rebound. That's a little bit more about want. It's a little bit more about God-given size and strength, things like that. Meanwhile, at the guard position, a lot of it is fit. A lot of it is being able to come in and having good chemistry With your teammates. Is there maybe a few freshman guards that you feel like you were relatively bullish on compared to maybe others?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had Arkansas number three overall, and basically all their guards are freshmen outside of Devo Davis. You have to, you know, take your bets with them. You know, you look at Nick Smith, who I think everyone believes is the best college guard in basketball, at least when it comes to being a pro prospect. He's something to watch, as well as Jordan Walsh, who's a great shooter, and Anthony Black, who's sort of an all-around elite point guard, your confidence, especially with Eric Musselman as the coach, that they'll get it together. But then also you look at Keontae George or Baylor, what he did against the Italian national team this month on Baylor while you know some of the key guards for them was out. It just gives you more confidence that Baylor's guards all around is going to have an absolutely sensational year. And maybe Baylor's being a little bit underlooked right now because if Cryer, George, and Flagler – can become that elite offensive trio, maybe Baylor's the best team in the country, and it's not North Carolina who has, you know, the veteran guards Davis and Love who showed that they can drop 30 anytime, but also can be inefficient. So there's definitely a couple of teams where their ceilings could be even higher than we think, whereas some of the veteran teams, maybe their floors higher because, you know, they're a proven product. But their ceilings could be lower because he might have already seen the best of what they can do.
3: Yeah, but I always think that that's interesting to take a look at because I do take a look at some of those teams. And I mentioned it with Wisconsin a year or two ago when they wound up being able to win the Big Ten. But it was the COVID-19 shortened year, so we didn't get to see what they were going to do in the NCAA tournament. I did feel like they were one of those teams with A very high floor, but a very low ceiling. That wound up being a case which they weren't necessarily able to do a ton that season. So I always do think that that is interesting to take a look at and Tristan, what else I think is going to be very interesting to take a look at is the landscape of mid-major hoops as well. I know that you do a great job taking a look at all forms of college basketball. And we wound up seeing in something interesting with the whack about a week and a half ago. The fact that now their conference tournament is going to be seeded by Kempom rankings rather than just the true wins and losses like darn near every conference winds up doing. What is sort of your thoughts on this? And I know you're someone that you cover Robert Morris out there in the rising league among other mid-majors. Do you think that this could wind up becoming a little bit more of a trend for other
1: conferences? Yeah, so what the WAC did is definitely unique, but it's not too much different to what all the conferences are doing. It hasn't been widely reported, but conferences when it comes to their non-conference scheduling, such as the Pac-12 and others, they're sort of a mandatory level of opponent that you have to have collectively. So If you're going to get a bunch of cupcakes, you still have to schedule a couple of juggernauts as well. So all the leagues in their own way sort of created these different things that sort of helps out their situation when it comes to potentially being multi-bids. And you look at the WAC, who has basically become a merry-go-round of conference realignment or adding teams, losing teams every other year. I guess it's sort of their way of trying to have a set standard of making sure that the best teams most likely go to a tournament and succeed. Because New Mexico State was the first team to win before, you know, to get tournament bids when it comes to winning March. So the goal for some of these smaller leagues is to get, you know, their best team in. And if you set it up that way through a conference tournament, that makes their jobs easier. Because deep down inside, as much as we love March Madness when it comes to stunning upsets in conference tournaments – the higher-ups would prefer that their juggernauts go in and have the best chance of potentially pulling off an upset and getting more shares for the conference as a whole. Yep,
3: yeah, no question. And the good news for the lack is that no longer can Chicago State wind up being the team that winds up winning the conference tournament. But to your point, I'm sure that they would have rather had a team like a Grand Canyon and New Mexico State win rather than Chicago State last year in terms of the conference tournament. And I mean, the whack, they did wind up being able to get themselves in the news with doing this. And I do take a look at the conference, and among the majors out there in college basketball, I feel like they're doing one of the best jobs. They did a good job bringing in the teams from the Southland, like Stephen F. Austin, like Sam Houston State, to make themselves more competitive. Now, they are going to be losing a couple teams back to the Southland, but really the, shall we say, Less tremendous teams. Incarnate Word wound up leaving before things even wound up starting. I think that Lamar wound up going winless in conference last season, so they wound up joining the conference for a year. They didn't win a single game, and now they're back in the Southland, which I find to be absolutely hilarious. But I take a look at the overall landscape of the uh, WAC, and you wind up seeing a few notable guys wind transferring out of the WAC, like Fadas Amek, now at Texas Tech. Obviously, you do wind up seeing the coaching change with Chris Jans going over to Mississippi State. This is still a conference that has a lot of talent, and I feel like they've done a really good job of building themselves up the last few years. To
1: some degree, a few years ago, this conference was viewed to be on their death nail because, you know, the geography was difficult. A few of the programs had questions on whether or not they were going to be D1 good. New Mexico State left away when it comes to utilizing the transfer portal, as well as the JUCO market. You know, a lot of these guys do come from the JUCO areas, And have made themselves competitive. And last year was easily the best the WAC has been in a while. They do lose a lot of talent, but there's still some decent players still there. I wouldn't be surprised, led by New Mexico State and Grand Canyon, of course. That they remain a solid mid-tier conference, especially considering how Valley looked after looking as uh, after losing a couple of key programs such as Belmont and Murray State. So there's a chance that the WAC could actually move up. And as long as they keep Grand Canyon, depending on what happens with the WCC in the future, they should be in solid shape. But with realignment never seeming to end, they'll still have to stay on their toes.
3: I totally agree with you, and I do think that the WAC set themselves up for another big year, even though New Mexico State does have a lot of moving parts. They bring in Xavier Pinson, of all guys from LSU. He should be able to have a big impact in this conference. You mentioned it with the D2 teams that have gone up to T one someone like Cal Baptist. They're now going to be eligible for the NCAA tournament. I think that they're in for a big year as well, along with one of our mutual friends, Sean Paul, who does a great job over there at the field of 68 as well. So we shall see how they wind up faring. And Tristan, I know that you're doing a great job taking a look at the game with college basketball as I laid out with that list of top backcourts. You're doing a great job getting prepped for the upcoming season, so let the good people at home know what's all
1: on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Absolutely. You can follow me at HoopsNut351 on Twitter, the same way as the Bustin Brackets, at Bustin Brackets for our social media handle. You could also check the site out for daily content. We'll be looking at the backcourts. next project I have, now that Gigi Jackson has officially reclassified to join South Carolina, I'll be looking at the top impact recruiting classes for next season and not just looking at, you know, the guys who are most talented, but which set of freshmen is most likely to have a big impact on their respective teams next season and how important it will be for those teams when it comes to being a contender, not only to make the tournament, but potentially make a running march.
3: And Tristan doing a great job getting set for the upcoming season and really all the guys over there at and Brackets. A good friend of ours, Cooper Watson, joins this podcast quite a bit. They all do amazing work. They love this game. They follow it 12 months out of the year, and Tristan – always brings the goods whenever he's on this podcast. So big thanks to Tristan for joining me right here on Coast because It's now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, since I wound up doing my preview of the Ivy League yesterday, I'm going to be taking a look at the news and notes that we wound up getting in college basketball from both Sunday and Monday on the flip side.
4: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. At Bed 365 we don't
0: do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field.
4: iHeart, And
3: hey, we're back here
4: in Las Vegas
3: for Phil's with myself Greg Abe Spears and now part of the V S Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Tristan Freeman of some Brackets on this podcast. He does an amazing job being able to take a look at the game of college basketball all 12 months out of the year. Lens tremendous insights holding it down in the Northeast part of the country. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a little bit of a round to pass through all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball over the last 48 hours. Typically, this is the last 24 hours, but as you guys know, I wound up doing my Ivy League conference preview yesterday. That means that we have cleared through the eyes in terms of the low and mid-major conferences coming up next. We're going to be taking a look at the M's, which means that the Metro Atlantic, the MAC, the Missouri Valley Conference, these are the ones that are going to be on deck, along with also the Mountain West as well. So we've got some bangers coming up on the podcast within the next few weeks, and Probably going to be doing more of my previews next week since I'll be filling in on the look at on Sin all week long. If you're out there on the East Coast, one to four a.m. Tuesday through Friday for you guys. If you're out here on the West Coast, pretty much Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. bleeding into 1 a.m. So we've got a lot of good stuff that is coming up, and we've seen some interesting things happen in college basketball as well. I was talking about this a little bit last week, in which we wound up seeing quite a few guys that. They made an impact on their team, decided to go from the D1 level down to the non-D1 level, and we've seen a little bit more of this. Ian Chris Shannon, he was able to be relatively solid at Central Connecticut State, and I do recognize that Central Connecticut State, not like a world beater by any stretch of the imagination, but a career 10.8 points per game score, career 36% three-point shooter, a guy that clearly showed that at the NEC level, he was a not just formidable player, but actually a very good player. He's decided that he's going to be going down to Cal Poly Humboldt, which is a solid D2 school, but typically you just don't see it very often where a guy like Chris Shannon, who is putting up double figures for four seasons, is going to be going down to the D2 level. I figure that he's probably going to be able to tear it up at that level, but certainly interesting to take a look at there. Steve Fawson, they wind up getting a relatively solid get. We were talking about the Whack becoming better and better with their good friend Tristan Freeman and Montavious Murphy, who two seasons ago was playing at Kansas State. Just didn't see a lot of minutes with Kansas State once the Bruce Weber era was starting to come to an end during the 2019-20 season. Wounded getting 16 starts with the team. And overall, in a little bit over two seasons with Kansas State, 4.8 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. With someone that was able to pop a couple three shot right around 30% from threes, a six foot nine combo player. He's heading back to his home state of Texas. He's going to be going to F Austin. Now, Sivre Austin always is a team that they look to generate a lot of steals. Murphy certainly doesn't fit that mold, but Stephen F. Austin has been trying to do a better job on the glass as well. He should be able to help out with that respect if he's able to find a way to be able to meld with the existing roster. This could be very good for Stephen F. Austin and certainly a quality gift for them. Brendan Dwyer, he was at LaSalle, just did not wind up playing at all. He has decided that he is going to be transferring to Florida Gulf Coast. We have seen Mr. Pat Chambers be able to bring in quite a bit of talent to save it off Austin here in the offseason with Dwyer. Not necessarily the most highly touted recruit, probably going to be a little bit more of a walk-on situation, but overall for Florida Gulf Coast, I would argue that the future is very bright for them. It is not very often that you wind up seeing Power Conference guys wind up going down to this level, but I mean, they've already brought in Isaiah Thompson, someone who was able to be a Solid three point shooter at Purdue a few seasons ago. Sam Inu is someone that's six foot 11 coming in from Memphis. Demir Bishop, he was also out there in the Atlantic 10. He was able to do a solid job at St. Joe's. So, Florida Gulf Coast, very much a new look team, but a team that I think has quite a bit of upside. We did wind up seeing Miles Gibson. He was playing at Metro State last season. that is a relatively solid D2 school, he has decided that he is going to be going up a level. He is going to be going to Big Hampton, and for Big Hampton, they really did a solid job last season of being able to play a little bit more defense than they've had in the past. The new coaching regime over there at Binghamton has been relatively solid, and the reason why Gibson might wind up sounding a little bit familiar is that he actually wound up playing a little bit for Eastern Michigan a few seasons ago. You take a look at his most recent performances while he was over there at Metro State last season. He was able to give the team a right around 13 points per contest. Not a guy that's necessarily going to go like Scorch Earth from three-point range or anything like that. Shot 33% from distance, but relatively versatile player. 5.8 rebounds per contest Why he was over at Eastern Michigan. Was a case in which he was able to put up right around four and a half boards per game. He was shooting only about 27% from three-point range, but did a solid job being able to give the team right around 6.7 points per contest. So he should be able to come in and he should be able to lend a very nice... Touch for this big empty team, a big empty bunch that I would argue is a little bit undersized out there in the AEC. So that winds up helping in a wide variety of ways. This one was a little bit surprising to me as well. David Winjet. He was playing for South Dakota State last season and was a relatively solid player at South Dakota State. Now, you do wind up seeing his minutes decline each out of the last three seasons, put up 8.5 points, 4.5 boards on 37.5% three-point shooting during the 2019-20 season with South Dakota State. 6.1 points per contest the next year and then last year. Now it's down to three points per contest, but the guy that clearly showed at the D1 level as a seven combo player was able to knock down threes. He's going to Peru State College. If you know where Peru State College is, you are a better person than I, because I have no idea where that is, but inside that he is going to be going down to the non-D1 level, a little bit of a depth loss when it comes to South Dakota State, you wind up seeing Demetrius Terry, he was playing at Cleveland State, really did not wind up seeing the floor too much, he's going to be going down to Lamar Community College, no, not Lamar, the team that wanted going winless out there in the WAC last season, but a community college form of Lamar, but Speaking of Lamar, Xavier Ball, who last season was playing over there, really did not wind up seeing the four for them. He decided that he is going to be adding to Texas Southern in a swag that we have seen a whole bunch of coaching changes over there. And I do think that Ball, if he's able to get out there on the floor, he's able to be a little bit of a six-foot-six combo player, can be an impact guy because he's actually a junior college transfer. And while he was playing at John A. Logan, he was averaging 13 points per contest. And John A. Logan is actually a really good junior college. He was able to shoot 42%. From three point range, ball was unable to get out there on the floor due to injuries. So, Texas Southern might be looking at a little bit of something with ball. I speak of guys that are a little bit out of sight, out of mind, that you want to be taking a look at in terms of your handicapping. This is Exhibit A right here, a very good junior college guy that wanted missing all of last season. So, I do think that this is something that is going to be able to help out a Texas Southern team that year in and year out they do a great job of being able to bring in these less than heralded transfers. And then you did wind up seeing Killian Reigns, he was at Cal State Northridge, a.k.a. CSUN last season, and was able to see quality minutes. Didn't wind up giving the team much production shot, about 32.5% for 32.5 points per contest. He's going to College of the Sequoias. I know what a Sequoia is. With that said, I don't know where this college is, so you wish him absolutely nothing but the best, and we're going to look to do nothing but the best on this podcast. Coast soups Hoops and getting you set for the upcoming college basketball season. Going to be coming at you guys every single day on this podcast in the offseason, News and notes of college basketball, much like today, and conference previews are going to be on tap. And then once we get in season, fix an analysis on every single game, every single day. And if you do like to hear from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Supes, you're to subscribe wherever your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Junet underscore eighty one. Keep in mind, letters C M it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. you fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. A big thanks once again to Tristan Freeman of Boston Brackets for joining me in the last segment, and I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.